Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. This is it. It's another stud cast with a Tennessee stud. Hey, I'm David Summers. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall, treetop tall, with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, where the weather's starting to get right. Is it, Ron? Oh, man. Fantastic. Jeez, we're sitting. Our fall is here, man. And it, uh, thinking back, uh, all those years in Florida, I remembered when living in Tennessee, <laughs> usually about the first week in September, you got that first little front that came through and yep. kind of dropped everything. So we're in the 50s at night and 70s during the day and Wow, can't complain about that. Sure. That's awesome. We've had a 59-degree morning, a couple of 60, 61 degrees like this morning, I think. it was, And it was awesome, really good first thing in the morning. But noontime comes and it just kind of slaps you around. So that's just how it is in South Alabama. Hey, but we'll take what we can give for now. We know we got some more warm days coming, but we're looking forward to fall. And listen, more great response from the fans, Ron, with a new all-time Studcast record indicates their overwhelming interest in what was happening to you in 1979's Southeastern Wrestling, really in both territories. Last week's Studcast number 316 had great cards in both territories, but still no end to the Knoxville War, and you were back on the road again. In the Southeastern Gulf Coast, you were booking, wrestling, you were taking care of business every night. Yeah, well, it was apparent, Dave, the Knoxville War wasn't going to go away easily, obviously, and the talent situation uh, with uh, just my taking over again as a booker down in the Gulf Coast Territory was, if anything, man, making my life more complicated every day. And, you know, I turned probably the greatest heel in the first five years of Southeastern history, <laughs> the Mongolian Stomper Babyface. <laughs> and listen, that was kind of a huge gamble. I think you would agree. So your title for this stud cast, number 317, this is number 317, Tennessee Stomper versus Ox Gulf Coast impressed me. It covers that perfectly, it seems like. So I don't know how you managed to survive 1979 up to this point, stud. Every new episode leaves us wondering how much more you were actually going to be able to take. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I mean, uh, luckily, I still had some very good talent in both territories, especially in the Tennessee territory. And the card there for this stud cast was as good, basically, as any territory in the country, man. We, we had some good good guys in the ring. And as a new booker, I was scrambling to try to make something like that, uh, something big happen down in the southeastern Gulf Coast as well. During this point, and uh, this stud cast is going to have a unique angle down there that, to my knowledge, had never been done before. So I was totally consumed by all of this, man, uh, especially being down in the south again and uh, and what was happening to me. And, and I, I was just determined, man, to do something to change my future. And basically the next two weeks, I'm going to be in this uh and down there in the Gulf Coast for two straight weeks. So it really sounds like you were starting to reach a turning point in Southeastern's future. I can't wait to hear this unique angle you just mentioned. So where do we uh, where do we ride today? Where did we get this thing started? Which territory, Stud? 
Uh, we're going to begin, uh, I think, uh, with another very strong card in Knoxville. In the last week of September 1979, Andre the Giant visited us there uh, in the last studcast, and boy, he thrilled Tennessee fans as always everywhere he went. Uh, before, at the end of it, though, having to be helped from the Coliseum ring after Ox Baker hit him with a heart punch. So I'll cover this week's card, the TV promoting it, the results of the card, and the attendance. And in addition to that, I'll also give everybody the competing card for All-Star Wrestling, uh, which I've been doing the last two or three studcasts. Uh, they've moved in this one to a different venue for their matches, and uh, some more of their sport-killing tactics is going to be going on. Then we'll ride south to the Gulf Coast, where I was going to try, going to be staying, like I said, for the next two weeks. And uh, it also has a really good card there, and uh, with that crazy angle, and all three of the major cities down there are going to get the same card as usual. I'll cover the TV, promotes that card, the results of the matches, and the attendances in those cities down there. Then if we have enough time, Dave, uh, hopefully we'll get in a learning tree question. <laughs> all right, so it sounds like obviously another loaded stud cast, Ron. It's going to begin in Tennessee, take us south to the Gulf Coast, and fill us with all kinds of information on the ride. So, okay. So, who was on the Knoxville Coliseum card Friday, September 28th, 1979? Well, it opened up with uh, Tony Charles against Redbeard. It was a guy named Doug Gilbert. Uh, then uh, it had Dean Ho and Wayne Rogers wrestling against Norvell Austin and the Angel, who was Frank Morrell, uh, pretty well recognized as a, as a decent worker in, around the country. Uh, then they had the steadily improving Paul Orndorff facing gorgeous George Jr.'s Russian, Alexis Smirnoff. In a special event, after Golden and Austin had basically successfully defended their tag belts against Rob and I the week before, they refused, obviously, to defend against us again until uh, they were going to have to be forced to, basically, the way they put it. So uh, Robert then challenged Jimmy Golden, who were uh, both beginning at this point to grow some hair back. To, to, to a single match. <laughs> then in the Southeastern Championship match, champion Dick Slater was going to be defending against Tor Tanaka, who was returning from the Gulf Coast, where he'd been the week before, and uh, he was managed by Gorgeous George Jr., naturally. And then the main event was a $5,000 bounty match. This one was no time limit, no DQ, and uh, this, for the first time ever, the Mongolian Stomper was going to be in a single match against the dangerous Ox Baker, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Wow. Okay, that's a great card right there. I I'm thinking that Robert and Jimmy probably looked like young men headed to the military, maybe. That's just my guess. Yeah, they were probably yeah, they were getting about there. <laughs> they were, the hair was real short, I'd have to say. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so what was on the TV setting this whole card up? What was that like? Well, let's open the show with Dick Slater and Paul Orndorff at the set with him and uh, – he welcomed them, and uh, he told them that, uh, in his estimation, they had had the night before one of the best Southeastern Championship matches he had ever seen. Uh, so they watched the last three minutes of that. That match ended up in a 30-minute time limit draw for the belt, for the championship belt, Slater against Orndorff, uh, two baby faces. And uh, so it showed the last three minutes of that match, and uh, during that uh, – you know, that three minutes, both guys were complimentary of each other. Uh, these guys liked each other. They were both from that area. And the action in the ring basically spoke for itself. I mean, Coliseum crowd was going crazy, and, and both of the wrestlers were just refusing to be pinned, man. Bunch of false finishes, and it finally ended with the bell, uh, but no winner in the ring. So uh, there was a winner, though, and that was the entire Coliseum which at the end of this, they get a big pan to shot of the crowd. Everybody in the building was on their feet, giving them a standing ovation. So uh, I wasn't there for this TV. Mm. I was down south because I was handling the Gulf Coast territory at this point, booking and everything. So Les told me he got chill bumps just watching the video. He said it was one of those moments that made you proud to be a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And I know what he's talking about. There are some... Uh, some matches that just make you go, wow, this is what a great uh, business to be in. So they ended up, uh, this match, shaking each other's hand again. They ended up 
this segment with less at the set shaking each other's hand again. And then Orndorff even wished Slater luck in his upcoming title match with Tor Tanaka. And uh, then Orndorff uh, went to the ring for the first TV match of the day. Uh, Slater thanked Les uh, as he was leaving the set, and Les reminded him that he was going to be on the last match of the show. Uh, Paul Orndorff was being announced in the ring when uh, uninvited, <laughs> naturally, Gorgeous George Jr. <laughs> brought Alexis Smirnoff and Tor Tanaka to the set with Les. And uh, as Orndorff was displaying his skills in the ring, which at this point were coming pretty, pretty prolific, uh, Gigi ridiculed Les and Slater and Orndorff for the way they'd opened this wrestling show with a horrible example of the sport as they had, <laughs> what they had just watched. You know, and he continued his criticism. He described uh, Paul Orndorff as a simple-minded musclehead that had a hard time just finding his way to the ring. <laughs> and and, uh, and he said, when my Russian Alexis Smirnoff finishes with him next Friday night, he says he's going to have an even harder time finding his way back to the dressing room. <laughs> so, you know, Gigi and his two men, they had a big laugh about that one, obviously. Uh, but Les wasn't so amused at the comment. And, uh, he told Gigi and his men, uh, you know, they should leave the set. He said, because you weren't invited. You're not supposed to even be out here. <laughs> so so Gigi, you know, uh, said he only came out because he wanted to make sure Les has gotten the video that he and Ox Baker had shot the night before in the Coliseum after the match that uh, Ox Baker had uh, hit Andre with the heart punch. So he wanted to make sure that you were going to show it. So Les said, you know, basically, okay, I've had enough of you know, and then he said that, you know, and the way uh, the way uh, Gigi described the incident, he said Ox Baker almost killed Andre the Giant last night. And uh, Les didn't like those type of comments about killing wrestlers, man. That was too much. So he basically demanded they leave the set immediately. And at the same time, uh, Orndorff, he, he hit his opponent in the ring with one of those football tackles finishes man and uh, so gg left uh, saying basically we'll be back <laughs> you know and i thought i think it was going to get a dose of gg probably in this tv uh, and it didn't get much better for less you know he was interrupted again the second segment was set to open up with robert but instead uh, out comes jimmy golden and norville austin uh, they got their southeastern belts and they strut out to the set and uh, they wanted to brag about their second time in a row win over the Fuller Punks the night before. And they let everybody know that they had no more championship matches with us, planned with us in the future. And uh, if we wrestled again, it'd be only in single matches uh, from there on out. So Les told them, you know, uh, this time had been set aside for Robert to watch how they stole the victory, the way Les put it. Watch, we want to watch, you know, he's going to watch how you guys stole the victory last night from the Fullers. So uh, Golden got very upset with the word stole, <laughs> you know, and he, uh, and he refused, you know, uh, the opportunity from Les to, to watch the end of the tag match. Les said, okay, well, sit here then and you can watch, watch and see it and you see what, see it for yourself. So he did say, though, Jimmy said, uh, you know, that Robert Fuller challenged him to a single match next Friday. He'd already signed a contract for it, and he was looking for it. And uh, and they immediately then got up and left the set to obviously a roar of booze from the crowd. Uh, and then uh, Robert quickly joined Les, and he watched how Golden had used an object on him the night before that basically knocked him out. And because of that, uh, Jimmy and Norvell got their win uh, in the tag team match. But now, uh, one against one, Rob was saying, was the way it was going to be next Friday night. <laughs> uh, then he went to the ring, and he got another win with a fuller leg lock. How about that? All right, so a lot had happened in the first two segments, Dud. So you're up to the personality profile by, by now. So what happened there? Well, it was being done live in front of the studio audience. The guest was the Mongolian Stomper. Uh, he was welcomed, obviously, with a big round of cheers. He was really over at this point. Fans loved him. Uh, Les started out the profile with a short video of Ox Baker uh, getting uh, Andre the Giant alone at the end of that bounty match in the Coliseum from the night before. 
and hitting him with his controversial hard punch. Uh, the studio reacted when they saw the hard punch. I mean, it was a nasty-looking thing. Whenever he did that, uh, it, it it looked uh, as bad or worse than it was, maybe. You know, and uh, so the studio crowd watched it, and they even reacted to it as the fans had in the building that night. It was a big gasp of air when he hit him with that that hard punch. Uh, so the stomper, you know, he, he thanked Andre. Uh, you know, for coming from Canada, you know, to be his partner. He said it was really nice of Andre to, to step up and come down uh, to Tennessee to be his partner. And he apologized for getting him involved in it and almost hurt badly. And he said uh, he was able to go home and he, he was feeling okay the next day. He saw him, but uh, he was really upset uh, that he had even brought him down. And that, you know, this bounty situation at this point uh, was... Uh, all his, he thought. From here on out, he didn't. He didn't want. He wasn't going to have any partners anymore. He wasn't going to do tag matches. So if anybody got hurt, it was going to be him that got hurt. And uh, and, and and he said, but that ain't going to happen. So Les said he was glad to hear that. And uh, but he warned the Stomper. He had a video to show him now. And uh, he said uh, this video was shot last night in the Coliseum. With Gorgeous George Jr. and Ox Baker and. Uh, he said, uh, I had to tell you, uh, Archie, he called him Archie because that was his real name. He said, I got to tell you, Archie, uh, this video really concerns me, man. And uh, you need to see it before we go any further here. So the studio went silent. Uh, you know, it was set up pretty good. Uh, and so it started immediately after Ox Baker and Alexis Smirnoff had got back in the dressing room after the bounty match where Ox had hit Andre with the hard punch right at the end of the deal. And, uh, and the two of them were basically kind of celebrating, man. They, they, had, they thought that they had maybe done a heck of a lot of damage maybe to Andre. That would have made a big name, big, big, big impression hmm. on the rest of the sport. If, uh, if the word got around, Ox Baker almost killed Andre with his hard punch. No doubt. You know, uh, that's what they were, you know, so excited about. Yeah. And uh, Gigi, in listening to those guys, he got very excited, too, about the time they were going to do the, the interview. So Gigi began the interview. Uh, he was, uh, he was you know, to part and patting them on the back, and they were patting him on the back. And, uh, you know, and uh, so Ox and him, uh, uh, he talked about, you know, yeah, oh, boy, that was great. You hit you hit the, uh, Andre with the hard punch shocks. And, uh, and he said, uh, instead of Andre, he goes, oh, uh, then this bounty stuff would be all over if you had a hit instead of Andre uh, Stomper. Because he goes, you you hit the wrong guy, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, and he said, uh, you know that Stomper would have been right now in the ambulance going to the hospital, and uh, you guys, uh, you know, uh, you you'd have been uh, in the br- in the money, you know. So so that now you know he said he saw that uh, you know. What he needed to do, he said. You know, and now I see what I need to do. You know, he said, what I need to do less and less was handling the interview. He said, what I need to do less is double the bounty money. I need to double it from five thousand to ten thousand. And he said, and that'll definitely get the job done. And he said, uh, Stomper being out of wrestling right now, that will get Stomper out of the sport right now and forever. So Ox Baker, had a, you know, uh, the, the focus was all on on uh, Gigi during the course of this interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ox and, and uh, Alexis are kind of in the background, but Ox then suddenly appears on the camera shot. He's got a big smile and, uh, and on his face, and he's pounding his tape fist, which he always taped that right hand, you know, and he's pounding that tape fist into his hand, and he asks, he asks, uh, uh, to Gigi, he interrupts Gigi and he says, did I hear you right? He said, are you doubling the money? You're doubling the bounty from 5,000 to 10,000? He goes, he goes, well, I want to be the first to get the money, man. And then he says, uh, and, and I want to let the rest of the world know I'm the man for the job. You know, and he said, you got to bring me back next Friday night. Just me against the stomper. And he said, I guarantee you, my man, I, you will be leaving. You will be leaving here 
short $10,000 and the stomper be leaving here feet first. <laughs> so um, all you could hear after that was Gigi. Gigi went crazy and he was saying, yes, yes, $10,000. And uh, then Ox, man, uh, he, he shoved this big, huge fist right in front of the camera. It took mm. up almost the entire screen. People were watching this at home and the people in the studio. Mm. Uh, you could, All you could see basically was his fist. And you could hear all you could hear behind him was gorgeous George Jr. He said, uh, get ready, Stomper. The end is coming. <laughs> that was about as scary an interview as I've ever heard, Stud. It sounds like things were getting real nasty there, Ron. So how did their Stomper respond to all of that? Well, let's said Stomper was very concerned. You know, I wasn't there that day uh, being down on the Gulf Coast. But Les said the stomper was very concerned. You know, he wasn't happy to hear the bounty money was double. He said he knew Gigi wanted him out of wrestling. He knew that Gigi had enough money to make it happen. And then no one in the sport had a better reputation for being able to put him out of wrestling probably than Ox Baker. Hmm. But hmm. Uh, then he had his own line for Gigi at the end. And he says, but no matter what, he said, who the wrestlers were, Coming after him now, he said, I would die before losing my chosen profession. Wow. Okay. So that was a dead serious profile from both sides, really. It sounds like this upcoming bounty match between Ox Baker and the Mongolian Stomper was going to be as violent as it comes. So how do you follow that profile, Ron? Well, you follow it basically with another deadly serious wrestler, which was who was Torf Tanaka, man, and uh, he had always been that type of wrestler. And he was about to face off against the Southeastern champion uh, the next Friday night, Dick Slater, for the title. And uh, Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, really couldn't wait to get to the set with Les while, you know, he put his monster in the ring, uh, and then he... This basically ran to the set. He had, he had so much to say after the end of that profile. And uh, so uh, he raced to the set, and the Japanese monster, he was just destroying his opponent. I mean, wow. So Gigi was absolutely gushing with confidence, you know. He was saying, yeah, I, I made the right eye. The made the right decision, the bounty money. He said, it's going to be paid. I'm willing to pay the 10000 and it's going to happen six days from now, Les. This is great. I'm going to get rid of the Mongolian stomper. <laughs> so, then in the last TV match was Dick Slater. And uh, that personality profile, man, it just kind of changed everybody's attitude. You could see it in the way that, that uh, Tanaka had wrestled, and you could see it in the way Slater went about uh, taking care of his opponent. Wow, he was he was nasty big time. And uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, he was basically as vicious as Tanaka. <laughs> wow. As vicious as Tanaka was. Uh, so uh, it, was a, it was a very, very serious program. It was a very intense TV show, obviously. So what happened the following night after all this buildup in the Coliseum? Well, Tony Charles beat Redbeard, uh, Doug Gilbert, and then the only tag match on the card, Norvell Austin, who was partnering with the angel Frank Morrell, he pinned Wayne Rogers, whose partner was the Hawaiian Dean Ho. And uh, so uh, Paul Orndorff and Alexis Smirnoff, uh, who was managed by Gigi, wrestled to a 20-minute time limit draw. Uh, good match, but uh, nothing like the match that uh, Orndorff had had with Slater because Smirnoff wasn't, uh, <laughs> you know, he wasn't that good a, a technician in the ring. He was more of a pounder and a... Uh, what you would expect one of gorgeous George Jr.'s guys to be like. Uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy, Robert and Jimmy were both disqualified. Uh, they both started bleeding. It was a nasty match, man. Uh, things were kind of heating back up between Rob and Jimmy. Then Dick Slater uh, successfully defended his southeastern belt against Tor Tanaka. And the following week, Dick Slater was going to be facing the second famous star, uh, after Andre had appeared uh, the week before, uh, we got another big star coming in the Southeastern that's going to be taken on Dick Slater, and that's going to be the former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe. Then in the $10,000 bounty match, uh, Ox Baker 
didn't fare nearly as well as he expected he would. Mongolian Stomper actually beat him in the middle of the ring and uh, then got his hand raised uh, on gorgeous Georgia, uh, but, it, but it wasn't for long. Uh, he, uh, after he beat uh, Baker, he was actually able to get his hands on gorgeous George, but Alexis Smirnoff found a chair, man, right there by where they were, and uh, that chair found the top of the Mongols' head, man. Uh, he got crowned, Alexis crowned him with a chair, and, and uh, uh, blood was running off of both sides of his head, man, his bald head, and uh, Stomper was uh, basically carried from the ring at the end of it. Wow. So, so uh, you know, Les said, uh, you know, the that kind of left the crowd wondering, uh, was the bounty paid? You know, you, <laughs> did, you, did, did, who got the money there if uh, if, Stomp, if Stompers are out of it? Yeah, so the, obviously the crowd was wondering about that, but it really sounds like a wild and bloody night. So how about attendance? How did you guys do on that night? Well, it was down 500 fans from the week before that had Andre the Giant, which was to be expected. I mean, uh, you know, he's a superstar. And uh, so it was down from 4,200 to 3,700. Juxtaposed to the All-Star event, how did they do? Well, they were no longer in the baseball stadium, uh, you know, uh, but but they weren't going back to Chilhai Park either. They had moved their matches to a high school gym. Fulton High School gym in Knoxville, which was a bad sign for them that they weren't able to, they were not growing their crowds. And uh, now it was obvious that they were looking for a cheaper venue uh, so that they could keep coming back to Knoxville and keep operating. So this card was headlined uh, by, again, Ginger the Wrestling Bear. And again, uh, she was supposed to be wrestling fans from the crowd. So, and then, uh, so then after that, uh, you, after their card uh, with the so-called uh, Southeastern uh, Championship, tag championship match, uh, I, I got an attorney and, uh, had, and I threatened to sue him. And uh, so if they continued to use the Southeastern name. So this was the last time they went ahead and used it again because uh, the, they were going to, they had agreed that they would stop using it. But they went ahead and used this uh, again as a Southeastern Tag Champion Tag Championship match. Uh, but it was the last time that was ever going to happen. It was Bob Orton Jr. and Barry Orton versus Terry Gibbs and Ronnie Garvin. Um, and I don't know exactly who won. I never asked the guy that looked at the crowds for me who won. I really didn't care. Uh, Bob Roop wrestled a macho man, Randy Savage. Boris Malenko faced Lanny Poffo. And there were two other matches on the card, but I don't know who's in those matches. Uh, and there, then they had another one of those ridiculous challenge of the week. This was a $5,000 baby bottle challenge. It was <laughs> Dick Slater was going to get $5,000 if he showed up at the event and could beat Bob Root. Oh, my God. All right, so let me see if I got this right. The Bear, again, was going to wrestle fans from the crowd they were advertising for the last time a Southeastern Tag Championship match, even though they had no belts, and their company was called All Star Wrestling. All right, so, and then they had a baby bottle challenge match. Dick Slater could get $5,000 if he showed up at their matches and beat Bob Roop. Mm. Kind of a sad joke, huh? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, you know. <laughs> And if you think about it, if no one challenged the bear, you know, uh, it would be the second week in a row where a bear was booked to wrestle and they didn't even have a bear match. So you just walk him out to the ring and yeah, that's it. Yeah, walk him out to the ring it's and a uh, bear give him show. the Coke bottle and, uh, and then take him back to the dressing room. Right? So they and, all saw the bear. Yeah. So it was the kind of thing that hurt the legitimacy of the sport, man, in both companies. You know, it did, it, it, it kind of. Uh, rolled over to us too, uh, the way they were handling business. It, it was not a good deal. Basically, they were making a mockery of the sport and uh, and uh, and having uh, no second thoughts about it. They didn't care. You know, it was easy for them. But since you know, they never paid a penny to anyone for the rights to have these matches to begin with. And you know, unlike me, who had paid one hundred fifty thousand dollars 
for the privilege of promoting wrestling in Knoxville, they paid nothing. They decided they wanted to take it. So uh, our crowds were down uh, more than 25% since the war started. Uh, their crowds were averaging less than 700 per event. And on this night, because they moved into a high school gym, it was a new facility, new place, they had less than 500 fans. So, uh, so our Knoxville fans alone were down more than 1,500 fans a week. Uh, and that figure was constantly getting worse. So all of this was the horrible cost, man, of, uh, of a wrestling war. Well, really amazing figure, Stud, especially sad since you worked so hard for so long to build the sport. A great first part of this ride, Ron, no doubt on this Studcast. So when we come back, we're at the break. We'll do the break now, and we'll find out more about that unique angle that you mentioned earlier as we head south and get into the Gulf Coast. So this Studcast will continue in a moment. The Tennessee Stud has done it again. His Ask the Stud number nine question and answer show has set a new first week out record downloads for these extremely popular programs. The only place you can find them is YouTube Southeastern Rewind. This new one has some of the best questions yet. No one is better at explaining almost everything that fans don't know about the sport than the man that did it all in the sport, the Tennessee Stud. Take your ride into wrestling history at YouTube Southeastern Rewind today. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back in. Another another Studcast that is really going to catch a lot of attention. All right, so Ron, do you want to start the last part of this Studcast with the Mobile, Alabama card, you were in Expo Hall. It was Wednesday, September 26th, 1979. Yeah, it works, Dave. I mean, uh, you know, we, we normally kind of start off with the card. So uh, Mobile, uh, you know, I, I, gotta, I called it the magic city, man. When it came to wrestling, it, it had basically been that since 1954 when my dad took me and uh, Rob and, uh, and the family south uh, from Kingsport, Tennessee to Mobile, Alabama. And uh, he opened the first wrestling territory on the Gulf Coast. And it was also uh, one of the rare southern cities uh, to have two buildings on the same site. Uh, you very, very few cities had that. You know, it had the Expo Hall, which held about 4,000. And uh, if you pushed it and uh, you needed to and you set it up, you could put almost 5,000 in there. And right next to the building, I mean, within, you know, 200 feet was a municipal auditorium that held uh, 10,000 or more, uh, almost basically twice the capacity of the Knoxville Coliseum, big building. So on this night, we're in the smaller Expo Hall. An opening match was Roy Lee Welch against the Inferno. Uh, then there was a newcomer named Vince Violetti, uh, who was brought in by the former booker, Louis Tillette. Uh, and uh, Vince was making his first appearance in the Gulf Coast. He was going to be wrestling against Eddie Mansfield. Uh, then a young, fired-up Kevin Sullivan man who was so happy down there uh, on the beach in that part of the country. Uh, you know, he was like, he was really Mm-hmm. He couldn't believe he, how lucky he was. Kept saying, "Ron, yeah, I'm just so lucky to be here. Thank you so much." And uh, he was going to be making his uh, second appearance in Mobile, and he was going to be wrestling against the Hunter Rock Hunter, who was a wrestler from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was going to be facing Ox Baker for the second week in a row. Uh, there'd been no winner in the first match we had, stopped by double disqualification. This time, it was a no disqualification match. Austin Idol had sent them Gladiator packing the week before in the loser leaves Southeastern match. Uh, this time he was defending again against an unknown mass wrestler, uh, a guy that would call himself Mr. Pensacola. And the main event was a very unusual best two out of three fall tag team match. You didn't see those type of matches very often anymore. And this was for the Southeastern belts. And the newly crowned champions, Jerry Stubbs and Mike Stallings, were defending for the second time on this card against the former champions, the Assassins. 
Wow. All right. A, a terrific card in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. I want to ask you about the TV show coming up, but I want to, I want to see if you will compare just for a moment because you're known to keep wrestlers happy, happy like you were just talking about Kevin Sullivan coming to you numerous times to say thank you for letting me be a part of this organization versus the all-star team that were trying to put on shows and the, the amount of money they were probably making or not making versus your guys had to be a huge difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we just talked about the card there in Knoxville where they changed to the high school gym. Yeah. They had less than 500 people. Yeah. Well, you know, the average ticket price was probably $4. Yeah. So they, they had $2,000 to pay the school, to, uh, to pay the police, <laughs> to pay the wrestlers. Uh, to pay the announcers, to pay the referees, to pay the people to set up the ring. I mean, the expenses were very, very bad. Yeah. So how much do you think they could pay those guys on the, on a $2,000 uh, gross house? I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, no wonder Kevin was happy. Yeah. He had been in Knoxville. Uh, he had gotten some very good payoffs. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kevin was kind of a funny guy. Uh, sometimes he was – I, I think he was more happy to be living on the beach than he was living in the mountains. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when he said, I'm the eighth, I got to thank you for having me here, man, for yeah. letting me work here. You know, uh, I don't know that it was just the money he was so tough. And he, I, because that boy got brown. He spent yeah. time yeah. on the beach. Let me <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, and that's, that's lifestyle is, can be everything in some situations. So I, I don't get how, how those guys are feeling now and how they were, they were paying bills, uh, family concerns, anything like that. So anyway, that's, that's what amazes me that they did what they did. And I wonder what they felt about it now. So, all right. So onto the TV show that promoted this card. Well, for the first time in months, man, I was in the studio, WTVY television studio, just outside of Dothan, Alabama, uh, and handling the TV. Uh, and basically, Louis Tillet at this point was was gone. He was still living in Dothan, but uh, he he did he didn't even come to this TV. So this show was going to this particular TV was going to push the boundaries, man, of a of a loser leave match, you know. Uh, uh, I had an angle that I was going to do this day. Uh, to my knowledge, it had never been done before. Uh, Charlie Platt opened the TV show with the Southeastern champion, Austin Idol, at the set. And they watched the video that sh showed uh, how he beat the Gladiator and ran him out of the Southeastern wrestling. Uh, and it was an extremely controversial victory. I mean, you know, it wasn't – it was really – he screwed him, I guess is about all you can say. It really, really, uh, it, it was not a, a very solid victory. So uh, Idol was extremely bold, man. Uh, and then Charlie kind of brought that up when he saw the end of the match. And he goes, wow, don't, that's horrible. And, you know, Idol says that, you know, he disputed he was, you know, he said, who cares if it's a disputed victory, you know? And he, he said, you know, I finally got rid of it. He said, of a very sorry wrestler. That's what he <laughs> bad. And he said, he said, he's so sorry. He said, he's so bad that he had to wear a mask because he was embarrassed about his lack of wrestling ability in the ring. <laughs> That's why he wore a mask, right? So Charlie, Charlie, can, you know, and everybody liked the Gladiator, who was a Dick Steinborn, you know. So mm -hmm. Charlie kind of stood up for the Gladiator. You know, and his skills and the fact that fans were very upset about the way Idol had manipulated the match. I think the way Charlie put it, the you know, way you manipulated this win to get rid of this guy in such a despicable manner. You know, he, uh, he says, uh, I'll tell you what, he goes, Southeastern Commissioner Don Curtis has seen this and he's pretty upset, too, with how you won this match. So Idol just started laughing. <laughs> he goes, I love the controversy. He goes, this is wonderful. He's gone. I beat him. He's out of here. And he goes, I don't mind controversy. And, uh, and then he continued his rant about how happy he was. He says, I finally got rid of the gladiator. So what? He goes, 
He was horrible anyway, you know, and he said, <laughs> and then the fans going to be happy to never see him again. And you said, and, uh, and, and the fact he's gone, well, good riddance, you know, and then he changed the subject and he, to the new mass man. He saw who he was wrestling and he goes, uh, you know, he, he said, he asked him, he said, uh, you, you know, uh, the new Southeastern, uh, you know, he said, and now I just got rid of a mass man, you know, and he goes, Here's another one. He brings now Don Curtis is breaking me defend against another mass man, and he goes and this guy he goes, Charlie goes this guy's named after a city, and he goes an ugly city at that, you know. <laughs> he says now I'm going to have to defend against a mascot called Mister Pensacola for my belt. So and he said so he asked Charlie. He says, by any chance, can you tell me, Charlie, said, did this Mr. Pensacola get his name by maybe winning a beauty contest? You know, <laughs> he laughed. He had another big laugh. So, <laughs> so Charlie, uh, you know, Charlie had a, Charlie had something that, that was going to turn the tables on the idol big time. And uh, Charlie just kind of smiled at this little last comment, you know, and he told Isle, he says, he, he said, basically, Austin Idol, he says, I'm through with you. And he said, but he says, I, you might want to watch the last match on, the, on today's, today's card. Hmm. <laughs> That's the way they ended the first segment of the show. So Idol, you know, being a cocky Idol, you know, he, he, he said something like, you know, it's been a pleasure. Talking to you, Charlie Platt. And he said, I might add, pleasure's all yours. Well, of course. <laughs> and he threw his belt over his shoulder and he strutted for the ring. He was in the first match of the day. It doesn't sound like he was too full of himself, does it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Much? Okay, so how did he do in the match? <laughs> well, he was on fire, you know. I mean, he'd had this long segment with Charlie and he'd watch this match and he'd got to say everything he wanted to say. Everybody's mad and upset with him. Uh, that's what the Idol was all about. This was great, you know. So he went in the ring and he was more cocky than I'd ever seen him, man. He, he had no pity on this. And then, obviously, Idol was a pretty big dude. Uh, he had a much smaller opponent and he was obviously really enjoying whipping this this young boy's butt, right? And the guy's writhing in pain, put the figure four on him. And they didn't want to let it loose. I mean, he just, wow, he just. He made himself, he got himself a lot more heat. Second match was Jerry Stubbs, Mike Stolich. That was the Southeastern. They were champions, the Southeastern Tag Champions. They entered the ring. They had the belts on. Uh, they're going to be wrestling against Eddie Mansfield and the Hunter, Rock Hunter. Now, that was an unusually strong team team for a TV match against television champions in the the assassins came and sat with Charlie at the set uh, to watch this match, and they laid out the the reason for their upcoming best two out of three fall championship match against Stubbs and Stallings, uh, and they had good points about it. Uh, you know, uh, they didn't have those type of matches anymore. They felt like they were in better shape than those two guys, and they were going to win their belts back. And as that conversation proceeded, well, so did the match with Stubbs and Stallings, man, and they were firing up that studio, man. And it was a long tag match, which fit perfectly with the conversation about having a two out of three fall match. And so, uh, you know, and those guys were, you know, uh, Stallings and Stubbs were looking good in this in this long television match. Uh, so this was going to be a very good match. Uh, the the TV match, I watched it. I was like, wow, this could have been a, on any show in America, this match, hmm. in a house show. So the type of TV match, uh, that type was perfect, man. It filled a lot of time. It had a lot of action, and it had the studio really excited. Good deal. All right, so how about the personality profile? Who was on that? Well, I was, uh, and the studio fans were glad to see me. Uh when I came to the set after Charlie introduced me, uh, and, and it had been a long time since I'd been live on Southeastern Gulf Coast TV show. Uh, I, was on the, I was on the show the week before, but it was a video, uh, which isn't nearly effective as being on there live. And you sit right there next to those bleachers and those fans are right on top of you. And 
Charlie and I watched the video from Mobile that was recorded three nights earlier of the match between myself and Ox Baker that ended up with both of us being disqualified. And, uh, and it showed on the end, a uh, referee got hurt in that one, and he had to be carried back to the dressing room at the end of the match. So Charlie and I talked about Ox Baker and, and his despicable history, man, especially regarding my family and the relationship that we had with Ray Gunkel, who died after that, a match with Ox Baker in Savannah, Georgia, seven years earlier. We discussed a little bit of that and, uh, and how that went down. And uh, then we discussed the upcoming no disqualification match. And, uh, wow, Charlie said, uh, you know, Ron, I, uh, I'm really scared. I mean, th this guy is not a normal opponent, and he has a hold that is known to be extremely mm. big. Mm. Well, there's no one like uh, Ox Baker. All right, so who followed that profile? Well, Ox Baker, uh, that had flown in that morning from Knoxville, where he was in the main event the night before that bounty match where he did the interview with Gorgeous George Jr. So Ox did what he normally did, man, which was scare the heck out of everybody in the studio for one thing, right? I mean, and he did it uh, in a way where two or three times, several times in the course of his match, he just jumped right out in front of the people in the bleachers. And the fans, uh, you know, they were sitting on him. They, some of them took off for the doors, right? I mean, Hawks, you know, he was an ugly, bad-looking son of a gun, right? And uh, and he was having a great time just scaring the heck out of it. So by the time we he finished his match, half the bleachers were empty. You know, people were standing out in the lobby waiting for him to get through and get out of there, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, and he just, wow, he finally went back in the ring and he mercifully ended it for his opponent. And thankfully, he didn't hit him with a hard punch. You know, I sure didn't want to see any of that. So the so the fans weren't clamoring over him to touch him or get a picture made or anything. <laughs> none of that, huh? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, not hardly. <laughs> All right, studs. So was it time for that match? Charlie Platt told Austin Idol about earlier that he should watch at the end of the TV show. Yeah, it sure was, Charlie. You know, so uh, and you like this one, man. So so the ring announcer he announced that uh, he announced the guy's opponent. The guy had not been seen yet, right? And uh, so uh, the announcer uh, announced uh, who his opponent was, and his opponent was already in the ring. And then all of a sudden, man, here comes this guy. Uh, he's dressed exactly, and then he lo and his body looks exactly like the gladiator, uh, you know. And uh, since since uh, and the gladiator, you know, the gladiator had been there for many months, you know. Uh, so, and, and except he had a different mask. When he got on the ring, got in the ring, he had the same outfit. He looked, had the same body type, but he had a different mask on. And it was a white mask. And it, uh, <laughs> so, and it had a name uh, embroidered across the forehead of the match that said, Mr. Pensacola. So everybody in the studio and at home, they knew exactly who it was, right? It was the gladiator, Dick Steinborn, but he's got on another mask and a different name. So the studio crowd exploded. They were like, wow, is Steinborn still here, man? This is good. Well, Austin Idol didn't like it. I mean, so he, he had gone back after his first match and showered, and he put himself on a suit. And he had a suit and everything. And he came screaming out of the dressing room, went straight to the set, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, Mr. Pensacola, he tore into his opponent and they rang the bell and the match got started. And Idol was screaming at Charlie. He goes, that's the gladiator. That's the gladiator. <laughs> you know, it was so loud that, that you know, that you could have heard him in downtown Dothan. You knew how far that is from the studio. I mean, he was just, oh, stop this match. And he, and he got so embroiled and so angry, he just couldn't help himself. He charged up to the ring. Just about the time Mr. Cole, Mr. Pensacola put the sleeper hold on the guy he was wrestling, uh, Idol charged the ring. And uh, when Idol jumped up on the apron, Mr. Wrestling, uh, Mr. Pensacola just dropped his sleeper hold. And uh, he turned around, grabbed Idol by the back of his suit pants and flipped him over into the ring. 
and he put the sleeper on him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the studio exploded <laughs> this point. And now <laughs> Mr. Pensacola's got idle in a sleeper. And uh, so, and, uh, so and, it's, and I'm sure the thousands and thousands, I think about it every time I see one of these, what people at home were doing. You know, watching this, like, wow, this is great. So uh, Mr. Pensacola put Idol asleep. He just laid him out in the middle of the ring, and he just left him there. He didn't wake him up. He just went to the dressing room. And uh, so, you know, it was a little bit of pause there. There was nobody there. Idol's laying there in his suit, and then he's, he's out cold. And <laughs> so here comes Ox Baker, and the two assassins came in, Eddie Mansfield and the hunter, and they were, you know, screaming for help. Hey, somebody help him. Hey, what, what, come on, get out here. So then they started trying to wake him up. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody took a shot at it. And then finally, boy, uh, Oxbaker set him up on the on his butt. And he popped him with one that had big right hands in the back of the head. And the idol came too. <laughs> and, uh, so, wow, the studio, uh, they were they were still roaring. They were still into this. So you're saying Ox Baker's big mitt on the back uh, did the job, woke him up? Yeah. <laughs> he, he put a lot of guys to sleep with that. So yeah, I guess yeah. it's good waking them up. <laughs> that had to be one of the best TV shows in Southeastern history, no doubt. And I might have seen that show back in the day. I have one question, Stud. How was Don Curtis and Southeastern Wrestling going to get away with allowing the gladiator to do this? Well, David, he wasn't a gladiator. It was Mr. Pensacola. Well, of course. (laughs) And and he was going to be Mr. Pensacola until somebody took a mask off of him or proved it. Mm, I should have known, Ron. You are probably right, though. I never saw an angle where anyone did it, anything exactly like that before. All right, so what happened Wednesday night, September 26th of 79, in Mobile, Alabama's Expo Hall? Well, Roy Lee Welch, uh, he beat the Inferno. Uh, Vince Villotti uh, lost to Eddie Mansfield. Kevin Sullivan got another win over the Hunter. Uh, me and Ox Baker... We had a bloody match. Uh, it was kind of reminiscent, I guess, of the matches Baker was having with, with uh, our our big boy, uh, you know, that went to Minnesota. Uh, so you know, it, he it was it was a, it was a bloody contest, man, and it went to a no decision. Uh, we fought all over the building, man. Not just that building in Mobile, but in Montgomery and in Dothan as well. And uh, we were going to be coming back the next week in a Texas Death Match in all three of the major cities. Uh, then Austin Idol, uh, he left the ring, man, a bloody mess uh, his match with Mr. Pensacola. Went back to the dressing room uh, and was counted out. Uh, and it, obviously, uh, the hand, uh, Mr. Pensacola got his hand raised, but he couldn't win the belt because Idol had left, uh, left the ring and was counted out. So then the Assassins, uh, they regained the Southeastern Tag Belts. They won two out of three, three falls in that uh, tag team championship uh, two out of three fall match against Stubbs and Stallings. And they were going to be returning against Stubbs and Stallings uh, for the last time. And the next week uh, when uh, they were going to wrestle in a match in which the team that lost had to split up forever. Wow. I thought the Knoxville matches in TV were really good. But now after hearing what happened down south, I think it may have been even better than Knoxville. So I guess the real test is the attendances. So what was it like in the, those three major markets in South Alabama? Well, they were all up again, Dave. Uh, Montgomery went up from 2,800 to uh, over 3,000 to 3,100. Uh, Mobile went from 3,800 to over 4,000 at 4,200. Dothan was up uh, from 3,300 to 3,600. All three cities combined were were up an additional thousand fans from the from the week before and that was a thousand more than the week before that so you know things are starting to to, to, to go better it's starting to improve down there in the Gulf Coast and to me Dave the most telling figure was Knoxville if you look back at Knoxville had 3700 compared to Mobile and Expo Hall with a full house of 4200. And maybe even more telling, 
then uh, this figure in comparison between Knoxville and uh, Mobile is a comparison between Knoxville's crowd and Knoxville had a population of 150,000 people during that time frame. Right, right. They had 3,700 in the Coliseum. Dothan had a population of less than 70,000. Yep. Dothan had 3,600. Only 100 fans less than Knoxville and (sighs) less than half the size. Wow. So in this week, the Gulf Coast Territory, it had really impressed me. That last figure, the 3,600 from Dothan, Alabama, of course, Compared to Knoxville's thirty-seven hundred, really, that's mind blowing. Especially when you when you compared the, the the population of those two cities at that time. So I'm sorry, but we're out of time today, Stud. I just don't think we're going to make that that learning tree question. Well, one uh, you know, uh, one last comparison, Dave. Uh, before we go today, uh, the Knoxville steady. 5,000-plus crowds that we had been having up until the war started, uh, beginning of 79, up until June of 1979. We were steadily doing 5,000 and more for each one of those Coliseum shows. Wow. Uh, so the this Knoxville steady 5,000 crowd had uh, di- disappeared. And uh, mm-hmm. been, the war started in June. Four months, we're four months later. Basically, those 5,000 crowds had gone because of the war. And mm. that was the only reason that they had dropped off. Mm. And as a businessman, when I started to realize what was happening, what had happened in the last four months, uh, it made me wonder what might happen to the attendances in the next four months. Mm. I have to say the last thought of yours brings me closer to where I think your head was in 1979. You had to be thinking at this point, Something's got to change. So this has been another groundbreaking stud cast, obviously. A one-of-a-kind ride so full of history and information that it's probably only available right here since you actually you actually lived it every day. So how about next week, stud? How do you top it? Where do we ride next week? Well, southeastern Gulf Coast was basically at this point pushing the Tennessee Territory, actually beating the Tennessee Territory. As we entered the month of October, 1979, we'll be doing that next week. We'll be in October uh, with a tremendous car in Southeastern. And uh, hey, we've got to have a loser leaves the territory match. We're going to have a loser tag team uh, having to split forever. We're going to be a Texas death match between me and Ox Baker. Uh, and uh, so we'll also talk about the TV down there, the results and the attendances. And, and then when we get back to the Tennessee territory, We'll still be cranking out some good cards. Uh, another bounty match uh, was going to be there. Uh, we're going to have the former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe, come to Knoxville to challenge uh, Dick Slater for the Southeastern Championship. Uh, we'll have a United States Junior Championship match, one of the, and one of the most unusual matches in history on that Tennessee card. We're going to have what we called a 30-30 match. It's going to be between, be between Robert and Jimmy. And if uh, the rules were, if Jimmy didn't win in the first 30 minutes, the second 30 minutes of the match, it's going to, it's going to switch over but so to a regular match to a Texas death match in the last 30 minutes. So uh, also we'll talk there about the TV results, the attendances, and uh, plus another all-star card. And, uh, wow, man, I'll do my best. I promise next week uh, to try to get us to a learning tree question too. Hey, I hope we make I hope we make that. That's always so so much information coming out of that. Hey, folks on Facebook, you know the deal. Go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee Stud on Facebook. Like him, follow him there. Become friends with a living legend. Same thing on Twitter. Find Ron on Twitter. Same thing. Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter. Follow him there too. Check out his fantastic website. Tn Stud. TNstud.com. It seems like everything kind of rotates around in in Ron's world right there at TNstud.com. This stud cast is going to be there and every stud cast ever done. This is number 317. They're all there plus 43 super stud cast and Ron's stud store. You can find all kinds of souvenirs, including Ron's thrilling lion novel called Brutus. You can get yours personally autographed. You can get it there at TNstud.com. Stud.com. 
Go to YouTube, Southeastern Rewind now. Subscribe. Get the best in old school wrestling on YouTube in the search search bar. Put in Southeastern Rewind. It pops up immediately. Find 338 videos. The last 94 stud cast. 52 stud stories. 68 short rides with the stud. Don't forget Ron's Ask the Stud number nine question and answer show. It's there. It's now available. It has already set a record for a new one. That's YouTube Southeastern Rewind, the best in old school wrestling. All right, Stud, another great one. Any final comments? Well, you know, I got to admit, Dave, I'm, I'm blown away, man, by the tremendous growth in Studcast listeners. I mean, fans have just started coming out of the woodwork and uh, people that uh, for years uh, maybe have not listened to Studcast, all of a sudden it has become really, really popular. And I can't, I can't thank all of those fans out there enough uh, and, uh, and especially those new fans and uh, uh, for, for everybody's support. I appreciate everybody's support. Please take care of yourselves and others and, May God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.